0: There's just two minutes remaining in the first period of extra time as david Robertson launches the long throw into the box and they're not gonna touch there's nicholas it's back to mason 2-1 to aberdeen rocky start on the track and the long throw did all the damage <laughs>
1: Hello and welcome to the latest By The Minute Aberdeen podcast Tonight we'll be looking back obviously on our Europa League exit in Cyprus last week And also back to the Premier League game and ahead to the League Cup game both against Hamilton To discuss the Cyprus game we spoke to Don's fan and film director John Baird And we'll hear from him later But as usual tonight we've got Martin Clunas Martin how are you?
2: I'm doing surprisingly well, Richard, yeah.
1: And another one of the travelling on support in Cyprus last week, our own Grant Fiskin, who is no doubt bearing the emotional and probably physical scars of his time in Cyprus. It's Grant Fiskin. Grant, how are you?
0: Uh, weary and savagely slumber, Richard.
1: Well, I'm obviously disappointed to hear that, Grant. Probably not that surprised you didn't take good enough care of yourself in Cyprus, but uh, them's the breaks, I suppose. But before we talk about uh, our Europa League exit last week, let's look back to the league game against Hamilton, and a fair bit of rotation in the starting eleven. And I think the thing which pleased most of Adon's support when they saw the starting lineups was the inclusion from the start of Scott Wright and Martin. He certainly grabbed the opportunity.
2: Yeah, there definitely was. You no, know, we all you no, know, we saw what he did in the final game of last season. So. There's big things hoped for from him, so all a little bit excited. It was really good to see him. First few minutes, he he had a really good impact as well. Um, watching him a little bit, it was like remember those early days of Peter Pollitt, when it was a bit thrilling watching him running at defenses. It was kind of like that where you before Peter kind of tailed off a little bit. Um, it was kind of like watching that. It was actually exciting seeing a young player at Pataudry who's uh, not afraid to take on defenders and. Know run with the ball. I'm sure. No, he got a bit. I did get a bit of rough treatment as well, which is is Scottish football, unfortunately. Um, but that seeing him starting was, you know, because we we know he's obviously missed a bit of pre season. Uh, was really was a, a really bright a bright spot.
0: Uh, Martin mentions Peter Paula. I, I think he actually reminds me a bit more of Ryan Fraser, just in the way he just seems completely fearless in taking on defenders. Okay, he's still young. We're still going to have to get used to him running down the old blind alley and. Maybe it's decision-making, but when it does come right, we've shown how spectacular it can be. And like Fraser, he was pretty quick in getting some savage treatment from defenders, and it already looks like that um, some of the defenders in the SB on the lower teams are going to be looking out for him already.
1: Well, you spoke a little bit about it there, both of you. Um, Hamilton's approach, I don't know if it was necessarily overly physical, it was just... Scott Wright was on occasion far too swift for them Far too quick for them Ryan Christie also got some of the, the same sort of treatment Wasn't helped by a, a, an eccentric afternoon's refereeing, shall we say Graham Jenny gets booked in the first couple of minutes For a relatively innocuous challenge And then proceeds to manage to avoid getting a second booking For another seven or eight fouls that he picked up during the course of the game uh, The Hamilton defender it got sent off The two yellows are both relatively innocuous and then there's the call on the uh, scorer tackle on Scott Wright. It, it was, uh, yeah, eccentric is how I turned it, Martin. Do you have a word for it?
2: It was absolutely hopeless, wasn't it? He got all the big ones wrong, I think. The really bad one, which I think it was Saris... Um should I, I have, th- I think it should have been a red. That's the main one. It, he seemed to sort of, he picked on the niggly ones, and I understand, you know, you're going to book guys for, I think a couple of the bookings were for more persistent fouling rather than just how bad a challenge was. Uh, but he just seemed to get, when it really mattered, he seemed to just get. The every decision wrong
1: It led to a very stop start afternoon But it wasn't just to refereeing Our first half performance was fairly bright Fairly inventive Certainly Ryan Christie and Scott Wright Made a big part of that uh, I thought Nicky Maynard His movement also contributed Kelly McLean was pushed forward Grant into that kind of number 10 role A little bit more anonymous He's not had a great start to the season
0: He's had spells like this Starts the season before And it just hasn't seemed to got going at all it's surprising that see. seems to have lost his confidence from last season, which I think we talked late on last season about, it seemed to seem like he belonged in the team and that he was one of the main players now, and it's almost like he's a new player, it's almost like he's still trying to build himself into the team partly that may be because I still think there just seems to be something not quite right in the midfield I don't think the balance is quite there especially in the European games I think it showed and it might show in the the more tougher games in Hamilton than we have to come, that maybe without Jack, you know, there's just... They haven't quite found their roles with Tansy coming in and out of the team, with Christie moving positions, and maybe that's affecting him. But, I mean, we've already seen before, now. however his form is, that McInnes doesn't seem to drop him, so... He's obviously going to give him a chance to play himself back in the form.
1: There's an element of that, Martin, I would suggest in, in a lot of areas of the pitch that things aren't quite there, aren't quite right just yet. Um, we're able to, as Grant says, able to get away with it against Hamilton at home and those sort of games, but uh, uh, the defending, uh, Anthony O'Connor had a relatively assured game by his standards, certainly. Um, smart header for the opening goal. Carry Arneson badly needs some minutes on the evidence of San, uh, Sunday.
2: Yeah, he really does. Um, cliche alert. I suppose we could say that Derek at the moment probably doesn't know what his best eleven is. Carey didn't have his his best. Afternoon in a red shirt, though no, when he was taken off, it was really no surprise. um he was trying to lead you could see him, he was talking to the rest of the guys and trying to kind of offer advice and things like that. He was talking to Constantine a fair bit, but as soon as he got his foot on the ball, it just wasn 't happening for him, caught a couple of times as well that that's something i 'm sure that'll that'll come once he gets some more minutes under his belt. He looked woefully woefully short of match fitness there, yeah
1: at the other end of the pitch grant uh, Nicky maynard I thought his movement was good, but I guess it's the the opposite argument from Adam Rooney, isn't it? Adam Rooney is a striker who, who scores goals, but that's kind of all he brings to the team. Nicky Maynard clearly gets involved a lot more, but uh, he's going to need to start scoring, isn't
0: he? Yeah, in, at that chance in the second half, they looked to do everything right, right when he rounded the keeper, but God, that just looked like a player that hasn't scored many goals in the past few years. Just It was just a case of, I'm trying to get this on target, whereas a confident striker would just put his foot through and bury it. Yeah, his his movement looks good. He's held the ball up quite well, far more than the other striker, which I'm sure we're going to talk about when we get onto the Apollon game. But you do think if we're going to go in with Maynard and Rooney, then excluding Stockley completely, it does look like we're going to need another striker, which offers us something else. Because, yeah, I think defences might be able to work those two out pretty quickly unless there's a third option. But, yeah, he he does desperately need a goal. Desperately quickly, and with Rooney being injured out as well at the moment, that's not ideal. he kind of has to lead, lead them on, and phew, who knows? I might even give Miles Story a little chance to prolong his stay at Daudrey a little bit longer.
1: Well, very much so. Uh, Miles obviously came off the bench, and a very neat and assured finish for the second and clinching goal on Sunday. And you know, here's a guy, as we said all throughout last season, a guy who's got 15 goals in the SPL. Um, in the same season in Inverness he can do it at this level. There's no question about that, Martin. And the way things have panned out these first uh, few weeks of the season, there's definitely an, op- an opportunity there for him, isn't there?
2: Oh, of course there is. Yeah, I mean there was there was all this kind of talk, and no, nothing from the club because the club don't deal in rumours and giving out tidbits of information. So there was all this rumours about that, you know, there was talk of maybe Colm Warnick or looking at him or maybe Partick or all this kind of different rumours. But he's got a chance now. You know, Rooney's out. As far as I'm concerned, Rooney's still number one, but he's not going to be playing. Maynard hasn't staked a claim. So that kind of leaves you with the story who, you know, and as you said, he can do it at this level. Um, another guy who last season when he did come on looked a little bit short of confidence, which... You know, is something that Maynard Maynard has now, but that goal on Sunday, well, will do wonders for Story's confidence. Hopefully, a nice early, a nice early season goal. We, d- we don't know how bad it is for Rooney. You know, if he's going to be missing many more games, then that's a worry. That, you no, know, but we we have there. There are three other options there up front, and you know, possibly you could pop Kenny McLean up there if you really had to. Um, so there's there's a chance for somebody to stake a claim there. Yeah, definitely.
1: I mean that finish you had for the second. It, it wasn't the finish of a striker who is, you know, low on confidence and barely has seen a, seen first team football over the past few months.
0: Yeah, I wonder if it's just a case of maybe the pressure off for him. Maybe he thinks he's possibly on his way and he's maybe relaxing a bit more because he was. He did seem a bit nervy when he did get his few rare chances at the start of last season, and maybe it is just that. He's maybe thinking, well, maybe this is my last chance. So just nothing to lose. I'll give it a shot and. Yeah, it was a supremely confident finish for somebody who's had so little playing time.
1: Well, there's still chat, obviously, that there might be another striker brought in that seems to have gone a bit cold on the Louis Mote front. Stevie May was uh, was an unused substitute for Preston at the weekend, by the way, Uh, should we be keeping tabs on that. One signing that doesn't now appear likely to happen, despite it being all but confirmed, it would have seemed, early in the summer. Is that of Sean Maloney? Two minds about this, Martin. I mean, it's an area of the pitch that we're pretty well stocked on, but there's no question that a fit Sean, Sean Maloney would have added an X factor that maybe it doesn't currently reside at Patondry.
2: If he, I'd like to think that he's obviously decided that he's he's finished and he's, he he realizes he's not going to be able to come back from from the her, I think the hernia injury it was that he was going to be getting the operation on. I'd, I would assume he's indicated to Derek, "I'm done." Um, Can't play Um, because if there was any chance of him coming back, you think you would think you know, and this is just this is obviously the non the non footballer in me and the fan speaking that I would you would think he would want to prolong his career and play for as long as he can rather than taking up a coaching job. I mean, I certainly do hope that it isn't that. Coaching at coaching it possibly Celtic or somewhere is more lucrative than continuing playing because you know Maloney seems like a proper professional and would want to would want to try and play for as long as he can. But he would have definitely been an asset, not necessarily in terms of you know the same style of play, but in terms of the way Barry Robson was towards the end. He was an asset to to some of the younger players as well, and he continues to be now that he's coaching. Obviously, uh, so it's a it is a shame, but uh, we are kind of well stocked in those areas. It would have been a worry that you know there's a there's a wage being spent there on an aging player, but I mean it's not going to happen now, so um, it's all what ifs. But it would have been nice to have seen them seen him back here, bringing it bringing some uh, experience and a bit of class, but not going to happen, is it?
1: I mean, Grant, it had already turned from what looked to be at the outset a statement summer signing to a bit of a sad, <laughs> elongated pursuit in a lot of respects, hadn't it?
0: Yeah, I mean to be fair, even initially when we were thinking about it before even we made any signings I wasn't particularly enthused by it as a main signing as you say okay a fit Maloney but there's not really been a fit Maloney for the past three or four seasons especially now with the signings we've made if you did sign him on the money you'd have to pay I, I, don't, I don't see what the benefits would have been now you have, you'd have just be blocking right you'd, you've got Christine McLean who can play in this position and yeah I mean I think for the best that it's going to turn out that he goes to Celtic anyway so um, I think it's probably a deal that I'm not too bothered has, hasn't happened.
1: The squad still needs bolstering though, uh, Martin wouldn't you agree?
2: Defensively, you know, I'm still not 100% convinced that O'Connor and Reynolds are are kind of up to up to muster but there's um there's definitely like a you know, something that could be done there um to kind of kind of round out the squad. We're going to we're going to find ourselves a little bit short in certain areas I think as the season goes on yeah.
0: My my concern about that is we were so vocal, or McInnes was so vocal, about trying to get to the group stage and we've not even made it to the playoff round. How much is this going to affect the finances for maybe bringing a new player? Was there going to be specifically waiting to? we possibly got into the playoff round and there was money guaranteed to make more of a pursuit of Malt or other options? Or is this going to be affected by the fact we've been knocked out of this stage?
1: We have been knocked out of the stage and we were knocked out because of a pretty subpar performance out in Cyprus against Apollon Limassol. Now We caught up with a former podcast guest and the man who brought Irvin Welsh's filth to the big screen, John Baird, who's a lifelong Dons fan and was out over in Cyprus with the team last week. So John, thanks for joining us today, um, you're on because uh, you were over in Cyprus last week. Now uh, I know... You're a huge Don's fan, have been for decades, but uh, I think it's fair to say you've not been at Petaudry that often the last couple of years because you've been too busy working with guys like Martin Scorsese for, uh, for the uh, last couple of years. So yeah. y- you managed to get yourself a ticket, though, uh, and uh, that was a bit of a point of controversy, wasn't it, that uh, the tickets were basically a free-for-all. Yeah,
3: it was. I mean, i got to say, I, I, if... if uh... I mean the the guys the the guys that managed to get me a ticket are season ticket holders themselves but even they said uh, they felt it was a bit unjust Um, they hadn't been at um, you know in Bosnia and some of the boys you know that had been in Bosnia were struggling for tickets and stuff and I think you know it would would have been definitely fairer if if there had been some kind of point system however there wasn't that many people without a ticket Uh, there was a couple of guys over there who didn't get but there wasn't. A, there weren't a many. The, those who made the trip, anyway.
1: Well, that was going to be my next question: is whether you came across uh, anybody that was still without a ticket? Because I know that they did go down the waiting list, and were able to satisfy a few of them. But so there were one or two then.
3: I think there was maybe one guy, one guy who I uh, who I saw, and uh, he was happy enough to watch it in a bar anyway. So you know, there weren't. There weren't a many people over there disappointed, definitely not. And plus, there was. There was a lot. Of, I think they must have opened up a, an extra part of the ground because there was a lot of you know spare seats around about and they could have accommodated a lot more of us as well. So, however, they managed to do it. I think everybody handled it pretty well. As in over there, I think obviously before then, the, the sort of fairness of it maybe was in question. You know?
1: And what about over there in uh, Larnaca, John? Uh, pre-match, I think it was a it was a really good atmosphere with the with the boys all there.
3: It was. It was great. It was. Uh, it was, most people arrived on the Wednesday, the day before, I think, by looks of things. And it was a really great atmosphere, very relaxed, you know. Everybody seemed to be heading for the same. There's one particular pub everybody seemed to be heading for. Uh, and that was all very good-natured, as always, usually, you know. So, yeah, and the build-up to it was great. And, and you know, there was a great, it was quite a funny sight. It was a double-decker sightseeing bus that had been commandeered by a lot of Don's fans. And it looks as though there was about 200 Fans crushed into this open-top double-decker bus <laughs> driving around Larnaca. That was quite amusing. And it was all very, very relaxed before a game, I have to say. But it was hot. I mean, that was the thing. That was the incredible. I mean, it was during the day, 35, 36 degrees. Unbelievable heat. And at night time, just before a game, I would imagine it was only down to about 30, 32 um, so it was intense heat, you know.
1: Ah, uh, there's certainly question marks about whether the heat affected the players' performance. Did it? Did well, it affect your drinking performance at all, John? Or
3: well, I, I, I got to be serious. Right? I, I, I think, without a doubt, and this is one of my. I mean, I love, I love, you know, how the club's being run at the moment. I really do. I mean, I think, I think that they're doing a great, great job compared to you know years gone by, and that's why they're getting fifteen thousand against Hamilton. and... In twenty odd thousand against Apollon and stuff, you know, because everybody believes in what they're doing. I think they made an error, though, in 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 the time, the acclimatization time that they had, because I, I I don't know if they if they flew. I think they flew over. I'm right in thinking just the night before the game. Uh, the they day flew, they the flew game, out on maybe. the
1: Wednesday. Didn't even train but on the, the pitch.
3: Yeah, I I I got to say, I think it's a massive error because you know you see in these these international tournaments and stuff. Uh, you know, international teams they go out now. There, there might have been an economic reason for it, but I can't see how even a couple of days they are You know, you can say, "Oh, Apollon were a better football side, or they played the ball better." But they, they, they are, you know, in a normal temperature, they're not. They're definitely not a better football side than us. You know, very, you know, they're a good team. They're a very good team. They've got really good players. But you could see the the heat was absolutely ferocious, and and basically, your mind. You know, we've all played football. Your mind is a second slower and that heat it doesn't matter how much you how fit you are or, or, or how much fluid you've taken on and stuff if you're not if your body isn't used to that temperatures you get a struggle and you can see that, that they were a step behind I thought and I think that was because the the pure heat there was just too much I think you know
1: so that's what you put the sort of pretty flat performance down to mostly without would you, a just the heat without, yeah
3: def- without a doubt I would say that and a lot of the guys standing around us that were talking uh, we're, we're we're saying the same thing, you know. We're saying that you know the touch is still there when they hit the ball and stuff like that. but It was just that one second behind a lot of the time. You know, the thought process seemed to be slightly slower. You know, and we know we've got a good football team. We know we've got a good clever passing side have a great management setup and stuff like that. It doesn't matter who you are. If you go up in temperatures, you're not used to it, you're definitely going to be slower. Um, and I think that was I think that was a big thing. I mean, the atmosphere as well was unbelievable. I mean, it was intim- it was really intimidating. Those guys, it was seven thousand capacity there, so they must have had maybe six thousand. And I've never, heard, and, and with no roof either, I have never heard a noise from a stadium that size. They, they were incredible. They really were. It was an incredible atmosphere. And that was that maybe was a little bit intimidating. The, the, you know, when McInnes and them came to the begin, and they were getting spot on, we could all see that. Didn't there seem to be any stewards in. Um, in the away ends at all, all the stewards seem sorry in the home end. All the stewards seem to be in the in the away end, or certainly visible anyway in the away end, standing down at the front the whole game. You know, preventing people from coming up to the, the, the. It was like a big glass partition at the front, not not a barrier, and it prevented people from coming up there the whole game, pushing people back. And it wasn't happening at all in the rest of the stadium. It was like a free for all in the rest of the stadium. Um, so there's certainly some certainly some um, mind games and some, some stuff going on from the beginning, you know. But the atmosphere was, a, I mean, you just putting it down to pure noise and pure atmosphere. It was, inc- it was an incredible atmosphere, it really was.
1: Yeah, well, obviously on the TV, what came across mostly was, it was the flares from the other end that apparently nearly got the game stopped. Uh, that was probably our best chance yeah. of actually coming out with a result on the night, but uh, never mind. There was there was a there was a lot of
3: flares going up. I think only one got chucked in the pitch and it was really close to the keeper. Really close to Lewis, but just the pure noise. I mean, the noise was and it was coming even coming from the ends that weren't where the flares were at. So not like so-called normal fans down each side. I've never seen. I've never seen a crowd as passionate, as small a crowd as that, as passionate as that. It was really was. It was quite impressive. I got to say,
1: sitter football isn't not something you'd necessarily associate with a great atmosphere like that. But they are very closely aligned with. Greek football, and obviously, well, if, if you went to one of the Athens stadiums, you would you would get that sort of atmosphere as well, wouldn't you? So, well,
3: I think you know, I think there's a great myth about how you know people in Britain, people in Scotland, or people in England always think they've got things better. I think there is there's a real sort of thing about oh, we've got better atmospheres, we've got better, as we've got us. certainly. I'm not uh, viewing. We'd, we certainly don't. You know, uh, these guys were very very passionate and uh, and loud and. And it's close to anything you've ever heard in a game in Turkey or Greece mm-hmm. or Italy or anything like that or, or South America. You know, really, really, you know, really. I mean, it seemed like every single person in that stadium knew the words and were singing at the top of their voice and just giving it. And it was really, the only thing I've seen come close to it was a game in Ukraine and Kiev against, uh, against Scotland back in, I think it was 2006, 2007. That was the only thing I've seen probably better than than than, than, uh, than Cyprus, you know.
1: Well, what about the atmosphere in the away end, John? Because uh, obviously there were some scenes at the end. Now, you can only speak on your own behalf in terms of what you saw, but uh, how, how was it progressing during the night? Well,
3: listen, I saw the whole thing, right? Where I was standing was very, very close to everything that was going on, yeah? I was standing at the right-hand side as you look to the pitch, yeah? I could see everything that was going on. So I pretty much had a bird's-eye view of the whole event. I got to say the, the away atmosphere wasn't that great, and I think we put it down to a couple of days drinking, really hot, people relaxed, and you know thinking that we would maybe got to win this and stuff, and we didn't make a lot of noise. That's that was for one. So there wasn't like this heavily charged atmosphere through the game. It certainly wasn't an aggressive atmosphere in the Aberdeen end. It was it was more a subdued. It felt like a subdued atmosphere. There wasn't much booze in the ground either. There was there was there was a very watery beer, so it wasn't, I've seen reports of, oh, this is why alcohol should be banned in the ground, that, that wasn't happening, you know, it wasn't like that. What I would say was, that the dabarine fans were, were being very well behaved, but the stewards, at the, the stewards from the very beginning of the game had a row, had a line just facing the crowd, and were not letting anybody come anywhere near the barrier where all around the ground, the Cypriot fans were standing round close to their barrier, it didn't seem to be any sort of anybody stop me and it and there's one or two particular stewards, I think it looked as though they were the head stewards, were being very aggressive. There was that poor guy with uh has Glen Garry Glen Gary, Gary hat on, guy with glasses, Glenn Gary hat. Didn't he look as though he was the typical guy up for a fight? Certainly not. But they were sorta of picking on this guy, pushing him back the whole time and, and it was starting to really agitate people. You know, and it's particularly this one or two stewards that were getting very, very aggressive with it. And they didn't they weren't behaving like normal stewards were. It looked as though it kinda looked as though they were cops, but with stewards' tabards on. That that was the more of the vibe, you know. Or security people anyway, rather than normal sort of football stewards. And then as the game went on, you know, everything, it was fine. You know, we, we got, but we knew, you know, we, we knew pretty much 10 minutes into the game, this wasn't going to be our game. I thought, that's, that's what it felt like. It didn't feel as though we were going to get through this. So the atmosphere was a bit subdued in our end. And then what happened at the end was, you know, uh, they said just before the final whistle, they said, oh, you're going to get kept in 20 minutes before the, right after the game, which is fair enough, you accept that. So it was all, as I say, the, the game finished. All the Limassol fans you know, they were, they were, they were leaving the ground, it was all, it was all going well, and nothing much was happening at all, and then, just kind of out of nowhere, there was a few, there was a group of Limassol fans that were approaching the the Aberdeen fans, the stands weren't a lot together, it was just like, you know, it was kind of like what the Dick Donald and the, the yeah, South Star yeah. would be, it would be that kind of thing, right, so you're not, you, you couldn't actually touch each other, but it was that close, right, and they came down, they rushed out of the corner, and was, because before that, like the Aberdeen fans and the Limassol fans were applauding each other. Uh, they were applauding each other at the end of the game. It was fair play and whatever. And it was, you know, good atmosphere, whatever. But there's this one group of fans that came down to the corner and started really goading everybody. And obviously, you know, it's like in any normal game, there's, you know, there's, a, there's an exchange and, you know, people sort of move down a few seats and, you know, but there was no need for it, really, wasn't it? And it was, aggr- it was really aggressive. It looked as though they were trying to climb over the barriers to, to get into where the Aberdeen fans were anyway, they, they at that point there was a few younger guys rushed sort of down to the front and were sort of shout exchange, you know, exchanging sort of pleasantries with them. Which, as I say, you would get in any game, any game of football. And then all of a sudden, these these stewards who I talked about earlier, these big guys, rushed in and just started leathering everybody. You know, they started leathering these young guys. It was just completely unnecessary. Big men punching these young kids, not kids like ten year olds, you know, these seventeen, eighteen year old. Guys, and then that's when it all that's when everybody just turned. You know, everybody turned at that point, and it wasn't just it wasn't just your you know who you would expect to do that. It. it was it was you know it was it, everybody was trying to sort of help these young lads out and sort of make sure that they were okay. And it just started and it just got out of hand. It just got out of hand, and then all of a sudden there was this. You know, I saw these women running past me who were crying and coughing and spluttering, and I didn't even see the right police coming in, but the right police had obviously been called and they came in and had put the pepper spraying out and they were spraying, everybody was spraying these women and these young kids and stuff and you know I wondered what the taste was in my mouth and it was burning up my arms and stuff so here must have been CS gas and then everybody sort of panicked and was rushing out and there was a guy who had been battered and he was and again it was a guy, it wasn't a guy who you know wearing the Lacoste or the Stone Island, it was like some big guy wearing an Aberdeen top one who'd, who'd been cracked across the head and his face was all ble- you know bleeding and and people screaming with tear gas in their eyes and stuff. So it was a pretty horrific sight, I've got to say. It, it came, I think, it came from the stewards. I really do. I think that, I think from the very beginning of that game, they were looking for a confrontation, and they certainly, and it certainly happened, you
1: know. Again, you can only say what you saw. Yeah. There were some reports from some people out there that said it kick-started by a bit of a confrontation between Aberdeen supporters, but uh, it certainly sounds like there were well, some other factors at play.
3: I, I, I think. Listen. There was a there was there was confrontation between Aberdeen supporters, but no, but but not. But I think that wasn't being caused by something that happened at the game. I it, that looked as though it was two guys who had, had beef with each other from a long time ago, and it was only these two guys. That's what it was. You know, it wasn't a groups of Aberdeen fans who were running battles. It was certainly wasn't anything like that. It was two guys who had a disagreement, and it, it didn't look as though it was anything to do with. What was going on there, and that certainly wasn't what caused confrontation with the stewards. Now, after the confrontation, the stewards happened. Obviously, there were fans that were saying, "Oh, you know, you you, you, you were, you know, you should stop doing, you should stop doing that, or you, you, know, you shouldn't be doing this." And that's, there was confrontation there, but there wasn't There wasn't any physical. didn't it look as though there was physical violence between fans during the confrontation. Yes, yeah. there, there, there was. something separate happening, but there was these idiots taking taking their uh, mobile phone footage, standing there taking mobile phone footage. I was standing saying, "Why are you doing that? What, what, what good is that going to do you, you know, or anybody taking this mobile phone footage?" So there was a lot of—I think—disappointment and tiredness and frustration, and, and 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 all that was happening because you know we'd just been knocked out. People were scared because you know there was this tear gas in the air, and it was a it was a frightening situation, you know.
1: Well, John, sorry we can have you on talking about a, another glorious away European victory, but uh, certainly a, an interesting couple of uh, days away in Cyprus. Anyway, I, I take it afterwards there was there was no reoccurrence afterwards in town or anything like that. It was all the atmosphere calmed down by that point.
3: Uh, yeah, I didn't see anything in town. I saw a few guys getting treated by the ambulance when we came out and stuff for you know for injuries. Uh, but it all really calmed down by then and everybody had sort of you know everybody had sort of made their way back into town and the town looked you know what it's like after a, after a defeat where you're tired and dehydrated and stuff everybody's like the, the energy levels drop right down disappointment and stuff. yeah so i think i think pretty much what everybody was doing at that point was was, was just looking at the, the correspondence that was coming through the websites and stuff about you know because the media was obviously straight onto it and people were looking at you know so that everybody was like crowded around looking at what the media was saying back home so it wasn't a you know, people weren't, a, there was no aggression at that point. It didn't feel as though weren't a, it, it, there was anyway at that point, you know. But then at the, end of the day after, everybody seemed to be, you know, back to normal again and people were down at the beach and just enjoying themselves. So I kind of think it was a bit of a storm in a teacup. So whether Aberdeen take any more action, I don't know. Uh, but I think certainly the, the UEFA should be looking at the behaviour of uh, of the some of the officials from, from Limassol because there is footage as well, if you look there's footage of a, of one of the Limassol officials running onto the pitch and picking up bottles of water you'll see it very clearly he picks up bottles of water and he's throwing it full force into the crowd into the Aberdeen crowd at the end yeah he's hitting women and he's hitting he's hitting everybody he's just but these these little bottles of water and he's throwing them full force and then he runs off the pitch again but it was a guy with a Limassol official Limassol tracksuit on
1: interesting stuff John thank you very much for joining us I uh, really appreciate it
3: no problem. And if anybody's out there interested in watching the next film, it's uh, and Ollie. It's coming out next year and it's, and it's about the life story of Laurel and Hardy starring Steve Krugan and John C. Riley. Yeah, well, well I
1: fuck remember when John was last on, he was just away to start that project, so you're now in the, the editing part of it,
3: are you? Yes, I'm now editing that now and uh, it's looking very uh, promising, uh, really happy with it and it'll be out probably uh, autumn time next year. So you'll start to hear more about it next year we're still editing and you know doing the music and putting the final touches to it so yeah so i'm excited about that
1: as are we john thank you very much again
3: you take care all the
1: best well some really interesting stuff there from john and uh, our own grant Fiskin, as we alluded to earlier in the show was also out in cyprus and um still no doubt radiating some heat from that trip uh, how was the whole match day experience for you
0: It was kind of like back to one of the traditional Aberdeen away trips of a great trip, kind of just spoiled by the 90 minutes of football kind of thing. It was was just so disappointing that out of the four teams we've played at this stage, they they are the one team that we should have beaten, I think, and should be beating. Um, Sociedad, class above, Kairat and Maribor could have gone either way, but they were both decent teams. I, I think we should have been doing Beating that team, especially when it's not at their own ground, it wasn't an intimidating atmosphere. Okay, it was hot. It was seriously, seriously hot. It had seven and a half thousand. They made a lot of noise. They had a few flares, but basically it was tannadice with a few flares, I think, and a bit more heat. They're talking about group stages, let alone playoff round, and not to get that far. And yeah, I mean, okay. There's going. I'm sure we're going to talk about the various factors, but one thing I can tell you is when Stockley's name, when the fans found out that in the team sheet, I think there was. A number of concerns, a few shouts of "Okay, let's trust Derek," but I think the underlying concern is we've got a problem here. Even from that moment.
1: Uh, well, I've got to say that John was uh, very complimentary about the atmosphere that the uh, home fans managed to create, albeit if there were just seven thousand of them on the ground. He says they were <laughs> they were very loud for the being just the seven thousand. Oh yeah, it
0: was a good yeah, it was a good atmosphere. But I wouldn't just say it was intimidating. It was just a a good decent atmosphere, and for it not being their own stadium, I think yeah, did me a bloody good job of making it feel like a home
1: Now let's uh, touch upon for a second uh, the events that happened in the stadium as opposed to on the pitch obviously again Grant you can only speak about what you saw from your perspective who knows where that was in the stand but uh, John seemed to think that the, the trouble that occurred really only escalated because of the stewards even if it may be kicked off because of an incident between two Aberdeen fans
0: well, yeah, as you can say, I can only say from my perspective, but in my opinion, I think it was the Aberdeen fans were responsible for the problems at the end of the game. Anybody who goes on these away trips, there's the usual few idiots who most of us know who they are and just seem intent on goading the locals and goading the stewards. And, you know, I read I read the stuff in the local papers, even in the p afterwards, talking about heavy-handed stewarding and all this kind of thing. I have to say, I thought during the 90 minutes of the game, I thought the stewards were unbelievably lenient in not removing some Aberdeen fans who were just goading them, baiting them, trying to abuse at them for 90 minutes, ignoring them. And then it wasn't just two Aberdeen fans fighting. There was more than one occasion when they started fighting with each other. And I have to say, I do not blame the behaviour of the stewards after the game because just some of the Aberdeen fans, I think they were looking for trouble. They were wanting the police or the stewards to get involved and yeah the, okay when we went 2-0 down the home fans were going and then Aberdeen fans were right up against them as well but yeah it's it's these guys it's the same guys who are causing these problems and the bad thing is it's innocent people who get caught up in it and obviously pepper spray gets involved one guy gets punched so I, I can't say what he was up to or not if he was an innocent bystander but it's these people that get caught up in these idiots who want to cause trouble and There's an embarrassing element to some of the Aberdeen support It's not a big number But everybody knows who they are And if it was Rangers or Celtic fans who'd caused this And we'd be the first to say Oh Scotland, shame, uh, disgraceful And all this But unfortunately we've got a a little portion Of an element of that support as well And it's embarrassing and I'd like to see the club Do something about it but it's funny this kind of thing happening in Cyprus but it would be interesting to see if we we're back in Spain or Russia or Poland if they would get away with that kind of thing because there's no way the stewards would be that lenient for the 90 minutes as the Cypriot stewards were in that game.
1: Well let's talk about the game itself then, uh, contractually obliged to but uh, the selection Martin, uh, Stockley starting, he, he does seem now to be past the point of no return with a large section of the support if not with the manager.
2: I had no real problems with the starting the starting lineup, other than sort of Stock, Stockley was a little bit like where we're going with this, but he, he just he didn't make any impact. That's the problem. You could have put a traffic cone with a red shirt on the top, and it would have done more in the, done more in that the time he was on the pitch, which is unfortunate. And he, he seems to have been made a little bit of the scapegoat, um, which is which is a shame for him because while he wasn't very good, there was there were other players on the pitch as well that just didn't didn't perform at all well. No, a lot of those players are you know, experienced footballers with quite a bit of European football under their belts they just they just didn't give themselves any credit
0: I thought in the first leg the Paulins defenders the big problems that they got caused was from the pace and movement now in the first half the amount of times that Shunay, McLean or Christie had the ball inside their own half and were looking for an out ball forward and Stockley just offers no movement absolutely zero movement he had a couple of decent flick-ons but when Maynard came on Maynard held the ball up Far better than Stockley did Stockley needed about Three or four touches To even try and get The ball under control And I just think If you're going to have Play those tactics You had to play Maynard If you can get Okay if he's going to Have to take him off After 60-65 minutes Fine But with Apollon scoring In the first spot Was it 15-17 minutes Whatever it was You have to go Looking for a goal And then Stockley Was just completely isolated And then Just before half time When he throws up his elbow You're just like Oh Here we go again And at that point I thought right He has to be taken off At half time and I can't believe he got another five, six minutes in the second half. And I, th- I think that was a big reason why we just struggled to retain the ball. OK, our passing was poor. On a few occasions, there was just no outball. And we had to just punt the ball away. And I think that's how the first goal came about. Because we just gave the ball away needlessly.
1: But Martin is right to an extent, isn't he? Because he is was a scapegoat for what was a horrific team display on Thursday. It was, yeah, of course.
0: But I, th- I think if we'd played Maynard, I think we'd have a lot more options up front to... To bit put more pressure on them to get a bit more pace and movement. But you're right, yeah. The thing is, so far we've kind of relied on Shinny and Christie to pull us through games. Christie was certainly quieter. He was targeted a lot more by Apollon. Shinny didn't have his greatest game. Then you're looking for somebody else to to step up. Greg Stewart had an absolute beast of a game. Mackay Stephen struggled, as you said. McLean again was anonymous. There was just nobody else to step up. And yeah, Stockley, of course, has taken taking a lot of the heat for it. But you are right that the only pass marks I would have given to was probably Scott Wright when he came on, and that was just because he just showed a bit of positivity. He was the one who got on the ball, and compared to how Stuart Mackay-Steven played, um, I think it just, just summed up that we just did not deserve to get through, and that was just because it was a full team performance was poor.
1: Martin, I mean, the, the opening spell, the opening stages of that first half, I actually thought, We'd started okay. We were seeing a lot of the ball in the opposition half. We weren't just sitting back. We were, you know, dealing with the situation fairly well. I thought, but that opening goal, which boots us in all sorts of trouble, it's appalling, isn't it? The left back beats Greg Stewart far too easily, and then he's just an acres of space once he's done that.
2: Logan's kind of tucked in. Stewart, so I just couldn't. I don't know if he just doesn't have no, didn't have the pace, or he just wasn't wanting to track back. But he just didn't seem to chase back. That guy's in an absolute ton of room. Too late for Logan to kind of come out and do anything at the right back position. Ball, the ball comes into the box, and even more players are drawn out of position, and you find yourself one goal down. And what was a decent start? You're, you're right. It was a decent start. We're then looking, thinking, well, now we're now we've got problems. Now we kind of need to try and come out a little bit. We we didn't go gung ho in the opening. What was it, 16, 17 minutes? However long it took them to score, but we had some 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 of the ball and it was looking you know, fairly positive. And just think, you just think, hold on, just don't concede, keep it tight. You concede a horrible goal like that, and then sort of you see them. They're looking at each other. So sort of glances are exchanged. And you're what you're looking at the players. You're thinking it. Just I think it felt like it took the air out of the, certainly the defence. but after that, the defence didn't look. Uh, anywhere near like assured as they as they have been in previous games.
0: It really was scandalous from Stewart. I mean, that guy. I think it was Jander who would scored the fir- uh, goal in the first leg. He'd been bombing up that left side the whole the first yeah. game and this game. Stuart is showing him down the left hand side. It's crazy. Like he has to show him in su- uh, in the field. He's showing him down the outside. If the ball gets past you, you put him in the stand and. We were sitting directly behind him, you could see McInnes' reaction after he went past him. He just couldn't believe it. He just could have throttled him there and then. But one one thing that kind of sums up the the two sides for me was the reaction from um was it Milica who who set up the goal? Him and Kenny McLean were in extremely similar positions after drawing the keeper out. The Apollon player was so calm. There was about seven or eight red shirts in the box and he picked out the player. When McLean rounded the or took it round the keeper He didn't look up, he just punted the ball in the box and didn't look up for the pass and I think I just showed the composure and the difference between the two teams
1: Well once the ball comes in the box things don't get that much better to be perfectly honest Um, Question marks maybe over Joe Lewis Martin?
2: I'm I'm kind of loath to criticise criticise him Um, I'm, I'm more concerned over the defence than I, am. Well, Lewis, I think the defence uh, allowed themselves to be pulled out of position and they didn't really offer him, I don't think they offered him really any kind of protection. I mean, th- that, that ball shouldn't be getting in as the first place, you know, that should be stopped.
1: And yes, uh, I think you're right to, to say that the opponent attacker does well to pick out his man, but our defenders are all trying to get back and block the goal, it seems. It seems like there's five or six of our red shirts in there all trying to get back in the goal and block that space rather than trying and take up a man. Planned.
0: Yeah, I think it was just total panic stations by that point. As you said, with Stuart being left on the on his own on the wing, I think it, there's just so many different players that are out of position, <laughs> including the goalkeeper, that I think it was just a culmination of complete disorganisation and just panic. And strangely, after, yeah, I agree, we'd started pretty comfortably. But, I mean, yeah, when you look at it back and you see the amount of red shirts in the box and how it can just one pass, one touch goal, McKay Steven gets a touch on it, I think, but... Yeah, just, And just not having to make them work hard for that first goal is just criminal.
1: And you can't see we weren't warned about Greg Stewart abdicating the defensive side of his game, Martin. I'm sure um, <laughs> any Dundee fan would tell you that uh, it's just not in his locker. I mean, you, Paul Hartley was able to construct a side that allowed him to ease off on any defensive responsibilities. But McInnes had him playing that uh, right-wing side, which requires... Under this formation, and to do a fair bit of defensive work, it was very telling. After 20 minutes, he switched him and Ryan Christie, so that Christie played out right, and therefore, you know, Christie is less able to to run the game in which he was clearly able to do based on that first
2: leg. It looks like kind of that Stewart might be more of a kind of luxury player that maybe for games where we're not going to be so challenged is the kind of games that I think that he might be better in. Logan is going to need some help. Was needing some help. Um, and he didn't. He wasn't getting any from Stewart, that kind of takes, it kind of really kind of takes Ryan Christie and his influence completely out of the game. Um, so I think in the future, not that, not that we're going to be, I mean, not that there's many teams that are going to give us like an absolute doing, because how many great, you know, top quality wingers are there in the Scottish Premier League? There's not many. Um, but I think that, you know, you certainly won't see um, Greg Stewart on the right-hand side in front of Logan when we're playing against Johnny Hayes, for example.
1: Well, after that uh, opening goal, there didn't seem to be any change necessarily in the game plan Grant still seem very much about uh, trying to contain them, trying to keep a lot of the ball maybe trying to do what we did in uh, in Bosnia and get to like the 60th minute and then try and be a bit more aggressive going on the front foot um, second half we did press a bit more but genuine chances, few and far between truly um, Andy Considine really for most of the night
0: our best attacking threat it's oh, the thing again, it's like just we didn't have many chances but the amount of set pieces and crossing opportunities we had and was so poor how could in four games in a row just the with players of that ability to the crossing to be so bad until Tanzi and Wright came on and put in a couple of decent balls and uh, finally we got a goal at Hamilton from a set piece but I, I think that's that's where we wasted so many opportunities is, and let them the amount of yeah, free kicks and corners that hit, just hit the first defender, or was a free header away, and yeah, I mean, finally, it wasn't for the ninety-third minute when McLean got that header. It was for probably a decent ball in, and I think if we had to put some decent set pieces in, we could have been a lot more pressure. The thing about the second goal as well is, you know, you hear people say it doesn't change too much, as we still need to score one or to in the tie. But I think it does change a little bit, as in it took a little bit of the pressure off them because they knew that. One goal conceded and they weren't out. They could still keep guys pushing forward, and I think it just had a little effect on our team as well. And it just kind of went down a bit, and there was a bit more panicky in our game. And and it was just yeah, it was just one of those nights nice, when all facets of the game were just under par. And at that, that level, you just you just can't afford to do that.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, the second goal was important, and let's talk about it because again, it's another. Comedy of errors Really Martin uh, Gary McKay-Steven Not entirely sure What he's doing But he is Simultaneously playing Four of their players On at the same time
2: I, Yeah I don't know what he's doing He's completely completely Just out of position Totally Giving the defence An absolute Nightmare to try And deal with And you know, After the game I, I mean a lot of the stuff On the feed Was the defence Were getting a bit of criticism And the opening mistake Was Was Greg Stewart The second one Was Gary McKay-Steven It's like the midfielders haven't done, haven't done the defence Any favours with both those goals. And we nearly get
1: away with it as well, don't we, Grant? Because uh, Joe Lewis pulls, pulls off a magnificent save, it's onto the bar, and then what the hell is Greg Tanzi thinking of?
0: You just, you just can't believe it. And the, the two things I think you noticed, you mentioned in the two guys involved in the second goal from our point, Tanzi and Mackay Stephen, it's Tanzi who puts the original corner in us get headed away. Mackay Stephen gets the ball, puts a terrible cross in, and I think he's panicking trying to get it back. That's why he plays everybody on side, and Tanzi's just trying to get back from his poor corner as well and yeah it was an unbelievable save by Lewis and oh my god I just it was just such a woeful header I couldn't have set the guy up any more powerful he just smashed it on the volley and you, you've got you to head that to the side the head that even if he'd put in a decent header it would have still been straight down the middle and somebody probably behind the guy who scored would have got it and I, just, it was, I think it's just similar to the first first goal is just the disorganization and panic and it just all came together and Just a total mess. But yeah, Lewis must have been devastated after that save to see the ball come smashing right past his face into the goals.
1: Substitutions really had little or no effect on the general flow of the game, to be perfectly honest with you. And obviously this is the fourth year in a row that we've gone out at uh, the third qualifying round. Now, it's fair to say that it's the fourth year that we've been unseeded at this level, and uh, UEFA have a very, very stratified system We're not really expected to get beyond this level but I think there's a disappointment in that obviously in past years we've always exceeded our seeding level and we haven't managed to do that this year. Is this just, Martin, our level or is it a big failure on the part of the manager and his team not to get past this team?
2: I suppose statistically it is our level. I mean, it's really disappointing because over the two legs you'll look at Apollon and okay, I've only probably in terms of the other highlights and bits I've seen of them playing I've only seen maybe about half an hour, forty minutes of other football that they've played. They were beatable. That's the real, the real disappointment. And then you, you suppose you have to say that it is a failure. You no, know, there was big talk about you know, The aim is the is the group stages. Uh, we fell far short of that next round would have been no. Getting through the next round would have been something big. No, you, if I don't want teams like Aberdeen getting into the group stages, they want to try and keep the big names in. And it's it's just the nature of the beast with these things. But you have to say it is a failure by the manager and by the players. Um, it's it's just unfortunate that's the way it is. No, it's it's not being negative. It's just being honest. Um, I'm absolutely devastated where We all are You look at the teams That have put us out before Apollon are the worst team That have put us out At this le- at this stage It's just as simple as that Yeah you look at
0: it And you think The first year Solskjaer had fine Miles ahead Kyra I'm sure probably We said at the time We'll put it down To experience Maribor Missed penalty Didn't take our chances But again I think it's partly mentality But partly It's just down to the home form You just can't You just can't Keep giving away Away goals like that and have to rely on the way performances. Yeah, as Martin said, Paul, that's the one team we should have definitely beaten. We're definitely, on our day, we are better than that team, which I wouldn't necessarily have said against Kyra or um, Maribor. And I think as as, as you posted on the Twitter feed, it's only going to get more difficult from next season on. So I think this is possibly a big, big, big missed opportunity.
1: Just one last thing, Grant. Uh, certainly, John seemed to think this was a huge factor. Are we are we underestimating just how hot it was? John suggested we should have spent more time out there
0: acclimatizing. Um, these days, I'm really, really reluctant to to use heat and humidity as a factor for guys who are this professional, with this level of sports science, with this level of advice professionalism, getting carted out and finding luxury flights over there you talk about people saying oh with Scotland you come to summer football but that's still not going to help if you're playing in that heat it's hard. I don't think it should be a factor but then this comes back to you have to set up your team so you don't give the ball away and if your passing's as poor as that and you don't have somebody who can hold the ball up then you're going to be even more tired because you've not got the ball and you're having to chase after the opposition I think it just comes down to poor technique poor mentality rather than the conditions because we've co- as we've said before we coped fine with it in Rijeka Okay, It's just slightly hotter than that But if you can cope with it in that heat in Croatia Then you can in Cyprus in Cherokee as well And I'm really reluctant to use that as any kind of excuse
1: Well, it'll almost certainly be less hot In Hamilton on <laughs> Wednesday night When we um, go back to the League Cup business Obviously we reached the final last year One goal for the season has already been missed uh, Reaching the group stages of the Europa League Only takes four games to win this trophy, Martin Again, that's what we're here for, isn't
2: it? It absolutely definitely is. Yeah, four games to win it. You know, truthfully, we probably couldn't have got a for Aberdeen. We probably couldn't have got a worse draw. Not a great record at New Douglas Park. It's an absolute stinker of a pitch to go play on. Um, I don't think any of the players like it. You no, know, it's only four games. No, you win know, you win four games and you win a trophy. We want more silverware. You no, know, the manager and the and the management team. Sorry, definitely are here for silverware. Uh, so, it's something that is a big target and it's a big opportunity, and I don't think they really kind of gave us much of a challenge on Sunday. So, it's an opportunity to go there, get through to the next round, and you know, get a step closer to the trophy. Yeah.
1: Hard to know what the side will be on Wednesday, Grant, but there'll be a fair degree of rotation, you'd imagine.
0: Yeah, that's a, a difficult one to predict, really, because it's never ideal having to play the same position twice in the space of such a short time, but uh, would he mix things up with the more attacking players or. You look at the fact that Hamilton had their entire defence booked against the team that played on Sunday and send them back in again. Yeah, it's it's been a bogey place, but look, the last two times we've played them, we've absolutely smashed them and just haven't turned the chances into goals. So you would like to think we're going to give them a doing at some point. So uh, hopefully it's going to be Wednesday. But I think it's as important a game for the defence to try and get gelled together as it is for the attacking players. And as we talked about earlier, God, if anybody needs some minutes, it's definitely Arneson so... Um, hopefully he can get a more settled. Maybe ninety minutes under his belt this time.
1: Yeah, Arnison and um, O'Connor not certainly the most mobile of um, centre half pairings, Martin, but uh, should be good enough to deal with uh, what Hamilton can throw at us.
2: I'd like to think so. I mean, you know, they didn't they didn't offer much. You know, um, the sponsors obviously gave uh, Shea Logan man of the match on Sunday, who um, I don't think Shea will have. Much of a much of an easier day than he did dealing with Dougie Emery. Uh Yesterday it was um, he could have he could have worn slippers and a smoking jacket to be honest, and he would have been fine. the The defense is the issue. We need to decide who the who the centre half pairing is. Hamilton didn't offer very much, and I think that you know you get Arneson in there, give him some minutes, and I think they should be fine.
0: An interesting thing will be to see how McInnes deals with Scott Wright. I mean, he, he clearly can tell by the way he's started this season that he now feels he belongs in the first team. Certainly a message to Mackay, Stephen and Stuart that he's going to have some serious competition in there but is McInnes going to be maybe taking him in and out of the team or is he going to let him have a few games as you said with that partnership which looks so promising with Christie at the weekend?
2: Scott Wright obviously had the he had the knee strap and you know, the tapes, tape stuff over his knee so I mean does he does he get left out because they don't want to risk him on that pitch? That's something I don't know that might happen.
1: Well, certainly plenty of options going forward to freshen up the side. That's unquestionable. A few people with some points to prove as well after the European Games, I think it's fair to say. But uh, whoever's picked hopefully will be in the draw for the last eight, which takes place on Wednesday evening. And after that this week, there's a trip to Dingwall. Again, never an easy venue on Saturday. And uh, we'll be covering that and the outcome of the Hamilton tie on next week's podcast. But, until then, that's our show for this week. My thanks, as ever, to Martin Clunas. Martin, thank you.
2: Thanks very much.
1: (laughs) And to the uh, sunburnt and hungover Grant Fiskin. Grant, thanks. Cheers, Richard. We'll be back with you next week. Until then, come on you, guys.